Wednesday morning broadcast here at JM in the AM. Our dear friend Rabbi Ruvain Tarragon is the Dean of Overseas Students at Yeshiva Dakotel. Many of you know that uh, Stacy and I have a son right now at Yeshiva Dakotel. Full disclosure. He's also Educational Director of the World Mizrahi Movement. As I mentioned earlier, by the way, Rabbi Tarragon's perspective on what's going on in the yeshivas and seminaries, in addition to what we'll speak, speak to him about, about the situation in general, is quite valuable because not only has uh, Rabbi Tarragon always been through Mizrahi and other efforts at the forefront of what's going on in all the yeshivas and seminaries in Israel, but you may recall that his efforts during COVID really um, played a role in him becoming a leader across the board uh, for yeshivas and seminaries of all backgrounds in Israel. So he's a good guest to feature this morning and any morning here at JM in the AM. Rabbi Tarragon, thanks so much for finding the time. Shalom, shalom. Welcome back to JM in the AM. Great to be with you here, Nachum, and of course we're here with you at happy times, and we're all together as one people in the challenging ones as well. Uh, this may sound obvious to people like yourself, uh, but when I checked in with my son Sunday night, after the two days of uh, uh, not having definitive information about what was going on in Israel, um, he uh, described what the scene was like in Yeshiva, Shmini Atzeret, Shabbat morning, as... Um, as reservist after reservist, and we're talking about, you know, boys in their 20s, if that, uh, were being called up and how they would grab their stuff, get a bracha from their Rebbe, and literally be driven or drive themselves to their unit. And I said to him, again, thinking like I would have 50 years ago when my oldest brother was in Jerusalem for the Yom Kippur War, I, I said to him, did you know any of these boys? After all, it's the beginning of the Zman. Uh, etc. Have you gotten to know any of them? He says, do I know any of them? A good part of them were Americans who I know for quite a while. And it hit me. It hit me just how many parents and grandparents of these IDF reservists are right here in the diaspora, so different than years ago. So I think it's important to note that as um, isolated and secluded as we often feel, even when we're in Israel, because, you know, it's usually the Israelis and the native Israelis who have this responsibility during times like this. Rabbi Tarragon, you're Talmidim, those who emanate from the United States of America are a good portion of those who are serving right now. Nachum, I think you said a very important point over the years, Baruch Hashem, with the increased Aliyah from North America. And uh, there are many, many people, everyone has, has family and friends here in Israel. And everyone knows people and grandchildren and et cetera. And as opposed to 1973, where Aliyah was not as popular, not as popularized yet, that's not an alarm, just a car alarm going on here. Um, today, the Tzibu in America is much more connected personally to people in the land of Israel. We're always, we're always empathizing with them, but now I think people feel it more closely. And uh, I mean, that's a good thing that we feel more connected, but it's a more challenging thing as we feel, you know, much more pain. Were you spending uh, Shmini Atzeret in Jerusalem or in a different city in Israel? I was in the yeshiva, Shmini Atzeret, and we began Shachris. And towards the end of Shachris, uh, the alarm sounded in Yerushalayim, and of course we went down to the bomb shelters. And throughout the day, on Simchas Torah, there were, there were alarms uh, that went off. 
uh, really the morning. I'm going to tell you a very sad thing, Nachum, which will just give you a sense of who we're dealing with. Um, so after Simchas Torah, the siren stopped, the missiles stopped uh, for a day and a half. Since then, there haven't been any missiles fired at uh, Jerusalem, with one exception. Two days ago, there was a levaya of a lone soldier from England. Right. His last name was Young. Right. And they called on people to go to the levaya, you know, to show respect. I did not allow the boys from Yeshiva Kotel to go. I'm not a Navi in any way, but this is what ended up happening. Hamas fired missiles at the levaya. Um, that's the one time there were sirens in the last three days. And those were the videos uh, we saw. Cover. Right, those were the videos we saw of living people having to take cover next to Matsevas in a cemetery. That's correct. Um, I, there are no terms that can describe the bestiality of the people we're dealing with. Um, you know, comparing them to Nazis, you know, may do a disservice to the Nazis. Um, we're dealing with savages, people who not only have no respect for human life, but take pleasure in tormenting other people. Um, and, uh, okay, we need to know what we're dealing with. Yeah, I, I want to just say... It's something we can't relate to, but you're right. We need to know what we're dealing with. What you just said is correct. Because we can't relate to it, we make the mistake of not realizing what we're up to. Right. Against. against right. One of the problems Israel and the West has faced in dealing with much of the Arab world is not understanding who they're dealing with. Obviously, we don't want to generalize. There are many fine Muslim and Arab people and uh, leaders, but there are many who, are, who act like savages. Yeah. And when you live in this kind of neighborhood, you have to realize what you're dealing with. And hopefully, more people will start understanding that so we can deal with what we need to deal with in the neighborhood we live with. But I want to go back to something you began with in your opener. Obviously, there are challenging things going on in the south. There are smaller challenges in the north. But in Yerushalayim and in central Israel, which is hundreds of miles away from these places, there's nothing going on. And there are no warnings of anything going on. And you walk the streets of Yerushalayim, not just Yerushalayim, I just happen to know Yerushalayim. You don't feel anything. You don't see anything. Obviously, police are out in full force to be extra careful. Well, just to, and just, to, just, just to clarify, though, you, you do feel somewhat of a loneliness, right? I mean, the streets are generally empty in the old city, I would suspect. I, I meant security-wise, right. you don't feel right. a threat. Right. You don't Understood. feel a threat. Right. The streets are much more empty because people are in the army and not going to work. Uh, the schools are closed because right. they, the teachers, many of them are, you know, teaching. And the store and owners, the store owners are in reserve duty. Many of them. Many stores are having challenges, you know, right. uh, figuring out how to get things out, etc. So yes, the streets are less full, but you don't feel a threat. Yeah, That's the point I'm making. Yeah. You know, for parents, I just had a Zoom with parents well, last night. It's hard when you're thousands of miles away right. and you're seeing what you're seeing to be terrified. Right. But what I, the message I want to give to parents is... There are no warnings here. And again, the schools are being very, very vigilant with right. the students. There's really nothing to worry about. Okay. I mean, again, we never know, well, get, but there's nothing to worry about. But let's, let's backtrack on this for a moment. I'm so glad you, you, we've already drifted into this area. It's obviously one of the reasons we wanted to speak to you. Rabbi Ruben Tarragon with us live via telephone. Um, neither you nor I, I would suspect, are going to sit in either of our positions and advise parents one way or the other, right? I mean, if someone is dead set that their child must come back from Israel, I can't imagine you would interfere with that decision. And, and, and of course, if someone is dead set that, you know, my son or daughter is not leaving Israel, I'm sure you would encourage that decision or do whatever you could to support 
that decision. All that having been said, for instance, the session you described last night, are you giving advice about how to handle the situation? Would you say it differently to a parent body that has students in other areas of Israel? How would you evaluate it? So, yes, this is obviously a very important question, and everything you said is your opener. I agree people have to make their own decisions, responsible adults, parents, and their children. Our job in the Yeshiva and Seminary is to give people the facts and help them understand what's going on and what we anticipate. I can't speak about things outside of Yerushalayim. I'm not familiar. I'm not there. But I can definitely speak about what's going on in Yerushalayim. In Yerushalayim, there's a calm, obviously a sadness, but a calm. There are no warnings. The police have not asked us to take special precautions, though we are taking special precautions. Frankly, it reminds me a lot of what happened when I was a teenager, and many of the parents today were teenagers in the Gulf War, right. when it broke out and people didn't know what to do. Should they go back? Should they stay? And uh, frankly, the dangers then were 100 times greater than today, right. because the country was going to fire missiles at a country that had barely any defenses, Patriot missiles. They barely, you know, they didn't have an Iron Dome. And there was a fear, if you remember, of chemical warfare, sure. uh, which Baruch Hashem didn't happen. Today, the missile attacks, Baruch Hashem, because of the Iron Dome, it's a totally different story. And, you know, we as parents that age, I have three children in the army right now, so I'm a parent that age. We, as parents, we remember what it was as the kids during our year of being here and the frustration if we had to go. And the fact that those who stayed, I think it was a a life-building experience for them. Rabbi Ephraim Goldberg put out a powerful video about this yesterday. Um, I'm sure you can find it on his pages. It's also on my Facebook page where he said, we respect anyone who decides to go and should be and you have nothing to feel bad about. But those who decide to stay, it will be a life-building experience for you and be something that gives strength to the state of Israel, its people, and its soldiers. Now, I see that people are standing together. There's nothing like that in showing the support you have for each other. Now, I would suspect, Rabbi Tarragon, that even if there were police warnings, and even if there were intelligence reports that encouraged additional security and, 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 and serious contemplation about what to do with foreign students, I still would have to imagine that you would be uh, acting in a way that would encourage, again, not trying to convince people, but in a way to encourage the comfort of your foreign students to stay in yeshiva. If there were chas v'shalom warnings, and I or other yeshiva and seminary heads felt that our students are in danger, we would never allow them to be in that kind of situation. These are our children. We know they're other people's children, but we feel the same way towards them. Every one of these Talmudim are our children. But if one of those, Tal- felt- but if one of those Talmudim in that situation expressed that they're not leaving, you would do everything possible to keep them safe, whether it meant keeping them in Jerusalem or not. Oh, if a boy decided to stay when he was in danger, yeah. we would, of course, right. you know, want to help him if he, if for sure. But what I was saying was, if the recommendations were for him to leave, right, we would do everything we could to get him to leave. Uh, the recommendations are very far from it. Naturally, people are afraid. People ask me, what happens if Yerushalayim is cut off from the world? This is not 1948. Right. There's no fear of Yerushalayim being laid siege to. Baruch Hashem, Israel is a very strong country, both physically and spiritually, and we're seeing the spiritual strength now in the response. Um, they were taken by surprise for a short amount of period by a group of terrorists in the way, way in the south. Um, there's no fears of Yerushalayim, it, it, it sounds comical, being laid siege to right. and being cut off from the world and uh, needing dry goods and to dig wells. 
No, it's under, not 1948. I, it's under, not 1963. Right. And, uh, Hashem. Are you getting the idea? Look, even though you, you claim to not be that familiar with what's going on outside of Jerusalem, I, I still suspect, knowing knowing the position that you hold, that you're somewhat in touch with leaders of seminaries and yeshivot outside of Jerusalem. Would you, would you agree, based on your... Again, you have to have a really good memory to, to answer this question. I have a feeling you do have a good memory. Am I right that it seems that a much larger percentage of the young men and women are staying compared to the early 90s and the Gulf War? Let me relate to both the beginning and the second part of your question. The reason I don't want to speak about outside of Yerushalayim is that I'm not there. Uh, meaning I'm here and I know what's going on in Yerushalayim. My sense is, though, that the other places where the yeshiva and seminaries are are also taking care of the boys and girls and that they are well and safe and happy and confident. That is my impression. I'm just not there firsthand. No, I understand. As far as your second part yeah. of... Go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah. As far as the second part of your question, you're 100% correct. Machal. Did we lose you? Are you there, Rabbi? Rabbi Tarragon is reconnecting with us, and hopefully he'll be able to uh, to address this. The popular. Uh, there there we go. Start, start again. You got you got cut off. Start oh, start again with. Sorry, the, sorry about that. From the second part. The second part of the, the second part of the question. You're 100 percent correct. Uh, in our day, when we were students, there were very few doing machal. Today, there are hundreds every year. Right. Um, it's very very popular. And uh, it's part of people feeling more connected to the state of Israel and also feeling like it's more realistic to make Aliyah. Aliyah today is not what it was 20 and 30 years ago. Um, So, yes, it's definitely more popular. And Nachum, I don't know how much time you have, but there's a whole other topic we haven't even begun to speak about, which in my mind may be less relevant to the parents, but it's a critical one for us to discuss. And that's what's going on with our soldiers. Yeah, and we'll we'll discuss that in a moment. It's the second thing on my uh, final two things I want to talk about. But first, just for a moment, um, your students, this decision to immediately after Shmini Atzeres, to reopen the yeshiva and start what we call the Choref Zman, the winter period of time of Torah study. Was this a, an independent decision by Yeshiva Rakotel? Did all of the yeshiva and seminaries take this approach? Did the, did the yeshivas led by the Haredi leaders of Israel, did they also open their yeshivas right away? What was the action right after this war started? It's an excellent question, Nachum. So I'll start from Yeshiva Dakota and then try and expand beyond it. Simchas Torah night, right afterwards, Matzei Shabbos, while it was still Yom Tif for you, we had a Rebbe's meeting right after Yom Tif uh, with the Rosh Hashiva. It was a two-hour meeting to talk over all the considerations and what we needed to do. And obviously everyone was feeling pain over what they're dealing with, but we knew our responsibility is to take care of our boys. And we decided already, Matzei Shabbos, that we were going to be opening right away before there was any broader decision. Right. The next day, Gedoli Yisrael, many Gedoli Yisrael came out and asked yeshivas to do this. So our decision was independent, but it was in line with what came out afterwards. Um, I think most of the American, if not all of the American schools, opened on some way or another right away, mainly because you have the students, they can't and shouldn't be going elsewhere, right. so they're with you, so you, you know, you're going to teach them. Now again, whether it's officials man or whether it's a priest man or a special program, there were schools maybe that had Tiolim planned, which you know obviously got canceled. Right. So I think, to the best of my knowledge, everybody has their students you know, in the building and are working with them, um, if, if only because there's no, nowhere else for them to be. Right. From Shivata Koto's perspective, I can say it wasn't just that. It was a feeling that this is what we should be doing. 
And we should be strengthening the soldiers by learning and davening for them. And we have a number of very exciting programs where we do that. And if I was uh, if I was in B'nai Brock or in Gula today, chances are those yeshivas would be open at this point. Officially, Gadol Yisrael called for everyone to be open. Right. Rabbi Ruben Tarragon is with us from Israel. Um, and, and before we talk about the soldiers, and obviously it's, it's vital and we will in a moment, um, what, what approach are you using now with the American students, including our own son, who's in the yeshiva? Obviously, you're encouraging Torah study. I don't know, by the way, if... if um, has the reserve duty affected the number of Rabbeim you now have in yeshiva? Is that a problem across the board that so many Rabbeim might be now having reported to the army or not? It's an excellent question, Nachum. Um, every Israeli citizen does the army. Even people who come from America make Aliyah, they do the army. Right. Uh, one of our Rabbeim, one of our American Rabbeim was drafted. Uh, obviously, a few of our Israeli Rabbeim were drafted. Um, and we've found replacements for them. Right. Uh, a young man from uh, the Five Towns, who I'm sure many of your listeners know, Rabbi Josh Fagan. Sure. A uh, son of uh, and grandson Alan Fagan, etc., sure. is here for Sukkot, and he stayed on to teach Shir. Wow. In place Kala of one Kala. of our Abayim who was drafted. Kala Kala. And we have alumni who were here for Sukkot, who we asked to stay on and help as staff members. You know, we've, we've heard of doctors who were asked by the Israeli government to stay in, the, in Israel after Sukkot to volunteer. I never thought of the angle of Rabayim staying, which is remarkable. It's wonderful. We have to remind ourselves that what gives us strength as a people is our Torah and our tefillah and our chesed. And even though we do our ishtadlis and we have an army, the Gemara and Mako tells us that what gives the legs of the soldiers strength to stand is the learning in the Shari Yerushalayim, yeah, language no of the Gemara. And it's chilling for us. And that, that's, when we know. notified the soldiers that yeah. we were open I can't tell you how many messages I got from them. Oh, Thank you so imagine. much. And just and the videos we see of the tzitzis distribution, tefillin, and I, I mean, we could talk for hours about about the chesed that's being done to assist the soldiers. And, but, and, and again, uh, students like like uh, our son, uh, obviously they're being instructed and encouraged to continue their regular day in Torah study, but I would have to assume that the avira, the atmosphere, has been so affected that the American students also have, uh, they, they must feel enveloped by the whole situation, even if they're not serving. It's an excellent, it's an excellent question, Nahum. We have to strike a delicate balance between trying to get them back into a routine, which is critical when things like, when the world is crazy around you, you have to have a routine where you're focused on meaningful things. Right. And frankly, we want them doing that and not looking at the internet with the terrible, terrible things that people who are right. on the internet know what I'm referring to. Sure. So we don't want them to get sucked into that. We want them to build their routine, continue developing themselves. That having been said, obviously, we're talking to them and connecting them to the situation. We have three slots a day. One, I meet with them each day and give updates and talk about feelings, etc. The Rosh Hashiva after Mincha gives a sicha. And each day we have a beautiful thing. Each one of our boys is connected to one of our chayalim. He has his picture and his WhatsApp number. He communicates with him and helps him with whatever the boy needs. And every day when the chayal can, at 6.45, they learn a chavrusa. If the chayal can't, so then the boy in Shiva learns for the chayal. At 7.15 p.m. each day, we have a Zoom where the Chayalim who are at the front lines give Divrei Torah to our boys in Yeshiva. Uh, our parents and alumni are invited to join that Zoom. If you want outsiders can join the Zoom as well. It's our way of strengthening ourselves while we strengthen them and reinforcing for them their sense that Am Yisrael is behind them. And, and, Gap, and, Gap, and Gap, your parents have to be reminded that as, as fragile as they may think they are, 
they don't understand sometimes the uh, the physical and mental uh, uh, capacities, uh, resilience that our young men and women have. Nachum, that's an excellent point. Situations like this are ones that can shrink someone or build someone. And if a person has the guidance of how to respond properly, there's obviously we don't look for these kind of situations, but there's no better way for a person to build strength and fortitude for life. Yeah. It's a shame that they're being exposed to this kind of thing, but if it's dealt with properly and we're doing our best, it will strengthen them. And I wanted to just add, yeah. again, there's a lot of initiatives being taken. Correct. Let's get we to have it, a thing through Yeshivata Kotel, right. personally, where we've channeled funds from parents and alumni through a whole system that's delivering to each soldier what they need in each place. Uh, and that makes everyone feel, the people in Chutzlaretz feel like they can help people from their institution and people in Israel feeling like the people are behind them. But the broader issue, and this is a very significant issue and there's a lot of inclarity about it. This is actually why I reached out to you because this is the most important thing to clarify. Anyone who's on social media is being bombarded by requests for help. Right. The soldiers need vests. The soldiers. Uh, Rabbi Tarragon is with us and he is reconnecting with us uh, no doubt and we'll get his to this. okay so you got to start Which again is, we, got, we, got, takes care of we got we got disconnected or by tarragon you started with the vests people are asking for vests what else just saying that anyone who's on social media right or an email is right. being bombarded correct with requests correct for the soldiers correct. they need protective vests they need helmets they need gloves they need mattresses they need socks they need underwear they need soap they need medicine and people are wondering where's the israeli army and the government and the army has issued statements uh, saying everything is covered. I want people to understand what's going on and why. The army has in its reserve stockpiles uh, provisions for 10,000 reservists, which is you know what you assume you would bring up. The army has drafted more than 100,000 reservists. Um, they don't have what to cover, and I'm not putting down the army. Obviously, you have budgetary concerns and what you buy and what you assume and what you stage. Right. But I want to let people know from personal conversations that I have had with hundreds of soldiers that what you're hearing is absolutely true about what they're missing. And there are tzaddikim like Rav Yosef Tzvi Ramoni, he's not the only one, he's just the one I know best, who are spending all day on the Gaza border, going from unit to unit, seeing what their needs are and trying to address them. One of the things that's most important and most missing are ceramic protective vests. Yesterday, someone gave me a donation for Rav Ramon, 40,000 shekel, I took it to him. He told me a story, which I hope your listeners are ready to hear. It tells you who Avrimon is and what the situation is. He told me he found a supplier in Israel who can make vests. They cost 2,800 shekel apiece, um, and he can make 500. It's a million and a half shekel. Right. Avrimon on the spot said to him, please order them for me. The guy said, I will, but I need a down payment for materials of 500,000. Avrimon said, I don't have 500,000. He goes, look, I can't buy the materials. Ramon told me he went to the bank, took out a personal loan on his name for 500,000 shekel, gave it to the person and said, make me the vest. When I came to Ramon last night, he said, I need to pick them up tomorrow. I only, you know, I only have the 40,000 you're giving me now. I went out from there last night and put on social media a request from Ramon uh, for the vest. Um, within three hours, we raised 2 million shekel uh, to cover the vests. I called, there's one group of donors who asked to remain anonymous uh, you know who you are, who said they want to pay for the whole thing. I called up every morning and I said, okay, so should we call off the campaign? He goes, you have no idea how many vests are needed. He goes, I'm going to order another 500 now. 
everyone who donates towards the vests, he goes and starts ordering right away, right afterwards. Now that he's dealt with that, he's dealing with helmets, he's dealing with gloves. Yesterday it began raining on the Gaza border. The boys went down with their summer clothing. It's not raining and cold. They have no tents. They don't have warm clothing. There are no heaters. Reverend Ramon is putting together suggestions, recommendations, proposals for all of those things now. How we can fill in. The Army is wonderful. They do their best. Our boys from Yeshiva Dakota are sleeping on the floor. Imagine how a boy can fight after sleeping on the floor for a week and what his morale is. So there are wonderful tzaddikim like Rav Ramon and other people in Israel who are trying to fill in these needs, whether it's mattresses, whether it's, or whether it's just to make the soldier feel a little bit better. Yep. Um, in any case, obviously there's a lot of different groups and you have to know who you're giving your money to and you have to be careful, but you should know there are genuine, real needs of our children. And again, all these boys are all of our children who are out there for us who we need to do our best to, 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 to protect. And you know what I felt after the terrible thing that happened on Shmini Atzeret is, after losing such life, so many lives in such a terrible way, we have to do our best to protect lives in whatever way we can. Uh, and we see how precious every Jewish life is from the reaction of the Jewish people to this. Rabbi Tarragon, I, I cannot thank you enough. And, and, and a personal favor, uh, I, I've tried to reach out to uh, Rav Daron's family, his family, not to go into detail on the air, but his family is among those families that are most affected right now by this situation. Uh, I think anybody who can read between the lines knows what I mean. Please convey our best. Let him know that we are praying for him and his entire family and uh, and that uh, and, and in general, in general, our brothers and sisters in Israel need to know that there has been a tremendous awakening among American Jews, religious and secular alike. And uh, all we want to do is help and pray and and keep the the uh, the fate of our Jewish brothers and sisters at the forefront uh, during these times. Please convey that message to as many people as you can. Thank you very much, Nachum. And I will, Amir Tashem, relate to Rav Daron and his family, and the chizuk is greatly appreciated. Let me just conclude with one last point, which is, I don't know if people saw the beginning of the week, Mizrahi, World Mizrahi did a world tefillah and yeah. chizuk program. Yeah. That was very special. There have been tens of thousands of people who viewed it. You can find it online. Right. And I just want to tell people that right now we're dealing with, you know, uh, solving the problem, dealing with the immediate needs but there's going to be a Mir Tashem, a very special consolation program coming out of Israel, coming out of World Mizrahi, that will Amir Tashem bring the world together and give us a little bit of consolation for what we're suffering too. So keep your eyes out on the space because uh, things are in the works. Oh, I appreciate that, and I hope you'll join us to uh, remind people about it as we get closer. I would have talked to you about the Tefillah program, but everything had to be arranged before Yom Tov was over in America, and that was part of the strange thing too. We couldn't communicate with anyone in America and had to respond and deal with things the best we could. Uh, understood. Uh, best regards, especially if you see a uh, a very tall young man who looks like me. Send them our best. Very fine fellow. We're lucky to have him, and we look forward to seeing you when you're able to visit soon, Amir Tasha. Oh, I'll tell you one last thing, Nachum. Sure. It's been posted online. Someone from Israel called up United Airlines to try and book a flight to America. They were speaking to, I think, an African-American woman operator, and they said to the operator, look, I assume you're getting a lot of requests, you know, to fly you know, on this route, she goes, yeah, we can't handle the amount of requests to fly to Israel. <laughs> and that was posted by our dear, by our dear friend, Isaac Heller, who was a member of the Mizrahi on the Lower East Side for many years before moving with his family yeah. to Yerushalayim. So we take great pride that, that <laughs> Isaac was the one who told the world about that incredible statement by that uh, airline official. Thank you so much. And do you my, know about yeah. the Google aspect? See, go ahead. If you go online and you Google flights to 
the sentence will complete itself. Israel. Amazing. <laughs> not New York, not London, like that Paris. Oh, that, the that, thing being that, searched that, for most today. That must flights be, to Israel. That must be killing some of the Google executives. <laughs> call, the come truth on. is, there was recently a post about Google and what's going on now, and realization. A lot of people are coming around, and hopefully they'll remain, you know, with a, an understanding of what's going on here. Call a voter by Tarragon. Thank you so much. We should share news of good health, simcha and nachat, and may the coming together of the Jewish people that's being felt in this day continue beyond and in directions where we can be metakim what was going on before. Amen v'amen. Thank you. Rabbi Ruvain Tarragon, he is the uh, director of the overseas program at Yeshiva Dakoto, which our family has been a beneficiary of for uh, many, many years at this point. Educational director of the World Mizrahi Movement.